Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. the executive director of Sisters in Crime, and I am really delighted to welcome Ellen Byron to the podcast this week. Ellen also writes as Maria DiRico. Ellen's Cajun Country Mysteries have won two Agatha Awards for Best Contemporary Novel and multiple Lefty Awards for Best Humorous Mysteries. By Who, Book Thief will be the first book in her new vintage cookbook series, and it's just been released. She also writes the Catering Hall Mystery Series under the name Maria DiRico. Ellen is an award-winning playwright and non-award-winning TV writer of comedies like Wings, Just Shoot Me, and Fairly Odd Parents. She's written over 200 articles for national magazines, but considers the most impressive credit working as a cater waiter for Martha Stewart. An alum of New Orleans Tulane University, she blogs with Chicks on the Case, is a lifetime member of the Writers Guild of America, serves on the National Board for Mystery Writers of America, and will be the 2023 Left Coast Crime Toastmaster in Tucson. Welcome to the podcast, Ellen. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm delighted to have you and uh, and to talk about writing. Yes. I mean, you've written in so many different genres and, and, and places, but I just want to start at the beginning, as I usually do on this podcast. How did you start writing? I spent novels, but in general, because you, you, you know, written plays, you've written for television, but when did you sort of say to yourself, I'm a writer? Um, uh, okay. So, so when I was in college, the head of the department was a lit and crit, a woman, and I, I did, you know, I was doing my assignments and stuff. And she said to me, you know, you should consider being a writer. And I was like, no, no, I'm going to be an actress. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, I got to graduate. I got to New York and, uh, and because I joined SAG, uh, through doing a commercial, I got to, you know, grandfather into equity. And I did that and I stopped working because, you know, I, I was competing with people, you know, as a small brunette, I was competing with the likes of Holly Hunter and she was getting all the roles. So to entertain myself, I wrote a play uh, for my friends and I sent it to a theater that said, we're looking for plays and auditions. And I never got an audition, but I got a reading of the play and I cast all my friends, none of whom could play themselves, as it turned out. And then I uh, wrote and I got involved with a theater company in New York, a different one, and wrote a play called Graceland about two women each determined to be the first person to set foot inside of Graceland when it was open to the public in 1982. And um, that got produced and published. And um, and I still didn't really consider myself a, a writer. And I ran into a, a, another actor writer uh, turn, named Jim McClure in a store and one day. And he said, oh, you're a writer, you know, you're a playwright now. I said, well, I'm still an actress. And he said, well, that'll go away. And it did. (laughs) Although I did improv, comedy improv for years, gosh, for about 10 years um, until I started getting in TV and couldn't do it anymore because of the schedule. And it was great doing, you know, scratching both itches at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, I, uh, 
you know, so that's when I, I finally began to realize I was a writer and commit to it. And uh, so, you know, the comedy improv got scratched the itch of, of performing. And then I really just became a full-time writer, um, eventually supporting myself through the magazine writing and then teaching playwriting through uh, the Young Playwrights Festival in New York. And then some out here when I came out here um, until my TV career kicked off. So I find this fascinating. And as somebody who worked in theater for many years, you and I could spend a whole podcast yes. talking about the, you know, acting and everything else. But for folks who didn't, don't understand, SAG is a, um, the union for television uh, actors and equity is the union for theater actors. Well, SAG is the uh, film and TV, and it's actually now, it stands for Screen Actors Guild, and it's actually uh, came together. There used to be three. There was uh, Screen Actors Guild and AFTRA, because AFTRA covered tape, things that were filmed on tape, and SAG covered things that were filmed on film. And so AFTRA included a lot of like, um, you know, like newscasters, they belong mm -hmm. to AFTRA or broadcasters. And then they just in the last 10 years, they combined to, to become SAG-AFTRA and AFTRA standards, I think it's so, Association of Federated TV and Radio Artists, I believe it's still I believe that's what it is. Yeah. Oh, oh and by the way, um, so not that long ago, probably around five years ago, um, Millie Berenger, who was the chairman of the department at Tulane when I was there, she left uh, not long after I graduated to go to Chapel Hill. But I found her, I think, on Facebook and wrote her and said, hey, remember how you said you thought I should pursue writing? I did. <laughs> <laughs> she was thrilled. <laughs> well, it's I mean, they're both craft. They're both driven and, and in both acting and in writing, you know, in writing, your writing journey and your publishing journey are separate. I mean, once the business, yeah. once the craft and, and the same thing for acting, like doing your, your craft through improv and finding an outlet for it is critical because there aren't enough roles. Well, I think the two things that helped of um, the acting really helped um, into, uh, well, really helped me just have a natural instinct for writing dialogue mm -hmm. and making sure characters sound like human beings. And, and that was something I would, you know, when I taught kids, especially kids in the inner city and stuff, you know, who I'd say, write your life, write the way people talk. And they were like thrilled because they never, no one ever gave them that chance. And they wrote some crazy stuff because, you know, they were writing about kill, robbing people. They're writing their lives. So it was quite, but, you know, I gave them permission to be themselves and they welcomed that. And then the improv taught me how to um, be part of a team and to, mm -hmm. you know, work with other people, which is really important when you're writing for TV because you're in a yeah. writer's room right. and um, you can't be, you know, I saw playwrights crash and burn in television or film because, you know, they were used to being auteurs and you can't be an auteur. You know, if you're a showrunner, it's your show. You can pretty much do what you want. But if you're, a, you know, a staff on the staff to serve that showrunner, uh, you've got to be part of the team. And so you went from playwriting, you moved out to L.A. Yeah. and you got it. You started in television writing. Was that. Yes. Uh, and, and I think what you just brought up is the. the one of the things that you need to learn and the difference is important. Um, but how, I mean, when you're in a writer's room, it's television, that's a job. I mean, you're there yeah. writing, you know. Hours and hours. Hours, yeah. Well, another thing that helped me transition too was the magazine writing, because again, you know, you're writing for money. You're, you can't be an auteur. You have to take your editor's notes. 
you know, um, you have to be factual and get it right or you can be in trouble. And, um, you know, so I learned how to go when people gave me notes not to push back unless, you know, there were times when I would bring something up, um, you know, because it would sometimes people give notes, especially executives would give you notes. They didn't. They, I, I, I tell a story how, you know, we wrote a pilot. I had a TV writing partner for most of TV and we wrote a pilot for NBC and the executive we were working with who I loved, David Nevins, he went on, he's had a great career. He runs Showtime and everything. He's a wonderful guy. Um, you know, we walked in and he said, oh, he said, we love the pilot. We're very short. We're going to be here very quickly. And he gave us a note and I realized it would have thrown out the entire second act. So, you know, at a point like that, you either go, okay. It, I saw showrunners often make the mistake with new shows of taking executive notes, literally. Mm-hmm. And you never... No one, no executive, if it doesn't work, they don't go, well, you know, at least you took my note. They go, it doesn't work and it's your fault. So, you know, I I said to David, okay, well, we can take that note, but just so you know, to address it, we would have to throw out the second act and start from scratch for it. And and we're happy to do that. You know, and his face, he got a, no, no, I, I don't want you to do that. So the short meeting turned into a two-hour meeting till we came up with a solution that would um, address his note yet save what he also liked. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, so you had a, a, a long uh, career in television, yes. which is a, it's a, a tough business. And, oh, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, how, how, how long ago did you segue in, in, into novels? Well, Plantation, I, I won uh, William F.D. Malice Domestic Grand Front Published Writers in 2013. Well, I, I guess I won in 12 and went to get, received it in 2013. And I knew nothing about the mystery community. I only knew that I really liked to read them. And uh, I ran into Denise Hamilton, who's a mystery author, who had been, she's not writing it right now, but she wrote some great books. Um, and maybe she is, I don't know. Anyway, so our sons were in an art class together. And um, they just coincidentally, it was not even, at, it was at a local art store. And she was talking about going to Thriller Fest. And I as I had started... I was in a lull. I was not hired on staff for a few years. And so I had to kill time. My friend started a writer's group and I thought, well, I'm going to try writing mysteries. I tried once before um, Mm -hmm. when I wanted to kill a writer I worked with and (laughs) um, it did not go well. So I thought I can't do it. And I thought, well, I'm going to try again. So um, I, you know, so she mentioned Thriller Fest and I thought, well, I'm not writing that. I wonder, I said, well, is there, are there other, you know, mystery, uh, whatever this is, they're all over. She goes, yeah, there's Malice Domestic. I was like, okay. So um, I saw they had a grant. I applied, I won. And um, and so that, you know, then it took me nine months to find an agent, um, which was a little you know, that I was a little like, well, I write for TV. I should have no problem. But, um, but yeah, they turned, the material was good, but it, they didn't know how they would sell it. And so I did finally find an agent, Doug, Doug Grad, who's great. I love him. Um, and he just really responded to the material. But again, it would have, it wasn't, it wasn't really traditional. It wasn't really a cozy. It was a little too jaded. It took place at a, a very elite private school in uh, California. Um, 
And so while that was out of submission, I wrote Plantation Shutters. And that sold quickly because Matt Martz was starting up Crooked Lane and I was on his first list. And I think I was his first cozy. That came out in 2015. But at the time, 2014, after a, a dry spell, um, my list of my writing partner and I got hired on Fairly Odd Parents, which is an animated series. It's actually, so I actually even belong to TAG, the Animation Guild. Um, so, uh, I'm a union girl. So, um, so, and then I was there from, you know, from 2014, 2017, when the shows that Bush had created were being canceled, Netflix was undergoing new management and stuff. So, so I, um, I was writing simultaneously to, uh, being on staff there. But the thing is that show, because it was run differently animation, it's like, you're basically have a day job, you know? you're, it's not a production company. You're working for the studio. So it's like, it's corporate in the sense that you're on boarded and you're off boarded, all that stuff I never experienced because TV, all the TV shows were production companies and they ran differently. But the great thing was the hours, because you're not a production like you are in a sitcom or drama, um, and especially multi-camera sitcom as opposed to single camera, where you're you it, you have run-throughs and then you have to you have so much going on at the same time. In the course of a week, you have you're in production for one show, so you're going to run-throughs. Um, you're breaking stories. You're getting a script ready for the next week or two, um, and you're in post you have post production. So, you know, and if you have a showrunner who can't delegate, um, you're there all day and night, you know, so I could never have written the books simultaneously to be on staff if I had been on a, you know, a traditional sitcom, um, even multi, even a single camera would have been hard, but it depends again on the showrunner, um, whether you have to be on the set or not. So, uh, so then that when that ended in 2017, um, you know, and, and I was suddenly I wasn't hired and I just started, you know, I became a full time mystery writer, which became easier when my uh, I took my writer's guild pension eventually, because otherwise it was like, OK, we can't I can't afford to live this way. So it's either take the pension or sell the house. And I took the pension. So and when you um, segued into to. Um, into writing mysteries. Now you, yes. you know, you talk about this, you won the, you know, uh, William Deak and you, you know, yeah. got an agent. I mean, you've been writing for a long time. So, yes. so this is abbreviated, but all of these are huge steps. I mean, this is like, you know, big achievements that, that you, you yeah. hit. Um, but did you, uh, you joined a writing group. Did you take classes? Did you innately understand because of your other experience about, you know, about the, the construct. I mean, how did you move from being a television writer to being a novelist? I read books. Um, I read uh, Hallie Efron's book. I love Hallie. We've become friends and it's like so cool to me. And Carolyn Wheat, um, Nancy Cohn wrote a book on uh, uh, writing cozies when I realized I was writing cozies I I literally knew nothing I went to malice that first man I hope that's not I hope that wasn't a long boring story no <laughs> no my, it's a great story um so I went to my first malice when I won this award and I'd never been to a mystery conference I didn't know they existed so and I was just like oh my god this is like hundreds of people who love this genre I love this is like 
Alice in Wonderland. But I remember I took the elevator down to the bowels of the whatever hotel it was at at the time, the the Hyatt. And I I guess I I woke up early. It was kind of like, and there was a breakfast going on. And I looked inside and I said, the woman sitting at the thing, I said, what is that? She goes, oh, it's a Sisters in Crime breakfast. I said, oh, what is it? Can I go? And she said, well, it was Molly. Molly Weston. Weston. And she said, I will let you go if you promise to join Sisters in Crime. And I'm like, okay. So I went to the breakfast. It was really cool. And then when I got back and I realized, oh, they have monthly meetings in Los Angeles. Oh, that's cool. So um, I'm a woman of my word. So I joined Sisters in Crime, and then I ended up hearing about MWA, and I joined that. Although that I mostly stuck with that because of the gumbo party they have out here, which is so <laughs> fabulous. Um, it's funny that I ended up on the board, but but um, so I I in terms of so the books I I just read like a half dozen books on how to write a mystery, and then I also applied you know some of what I like I outline because. You know, in my TV and film career, and and my TV career is, you know, it's it, when it's compared to other people in a business, it depends. There's so many levels. Like I, we had a pilot picked up to go to series, and then I was getting my hair done, and I still remember I had, you know, they were head full of dye when I got a call that they had canceled the network. It was for a, a cable network called Hub TV. Oh. And so not not only have we closed shows, <laughs> we canceled the network. So, um, you know, and we were, oh, I'll tell you a story. We were in pre-pro, pre-production for a pilot that got picked up for Disney Channel and we were casting it and they decided they wanted, this is like so Disney, they had, they had Selena Gomez. So they kind of hit the, um, they, you know, in their mind, they ticked off the Hispanic box, but they wanted someone of color. And we're like, we're totally on board. Um, and we found this wonderful young actress who was so good. And we, you know, we said, please, can we call her back? Sure, we can call her back. And um, and so she did a great audition. She sang because, of course, all the Disney actors had to sing. And then uh, the network, uh, the network executive decided she didn't have, I won't name him, didn't have the Disney sparkle. So we not, didn't cast her. And then the, they were simultaneously developing. So they picked up the other show. We got kicked out of pre-production. That actress was Zendaya. <laughs> so she went well, on, they went on to cast her as in a buddy comedy. So there was someone else to hold up the, you know, the, the, the show. And then of course they realized how great she was. And she got her own show that a, actually a friend ended up running, but so there you go. There you go. Hollywood. Hollywood. <laughs> so. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Anyway. So at least we have great taste. But anyway, I digress. So so I do outline, you know, and I call it a fluid outline because, um, you know, I allow myself to find new things and, mm-hmm. you know, which is how it worked in TV. You had to submit an outline. You couldn't move on to script till the outline was approved by the showrunner the studio, the network, everyone had to sign off on it. And then of course, with any writing, you would go to script and you, you know, run into bumps and, and have to adjust, you know, which is what happens when I write my outline. Um, now I forgot your question. <laughs> well, no, the segueing from, from uh, television into novels. Um, and so, you know, and because, you know, I wasn't that person who wrote a novel for five years and, you know, I, I did it. I did it within a 
you know, a year's time frame and um, the writing, I kind of adapted some of my writing process. And then, um, you know, it was, uh, and then when I got, you know, got notes and stuff, I could take them. And, and I, and I think learning, I actually wrote for a, a blog post, I think for career, no, for the writer's digest a while ago about the art of taking feedback because I've been taking it for so long. I mean, by the time I started writing, um, you know, I started writing plays when I was in my mid twenties and, um, you know, in plays you have to rewrite in production because they change because of actors. So I've been taking notes for so long by then that it wasn't hard for me to take, uh, notes from an editor. Um, the thing that it, although Bayou Book Thief was, was the most intensive, um, notes I've gotten in, and that was really hard for some reason. I don't know. I really struggled and I, to address them and then keep what I needed to keep, you know, and they were completely great notes and they made the book so much better. But at one point my husband was, cause we were sharing an office cause of COVID. He was like, you know, do you think you could you give the money back and tell them you can't do this? I was like, no, no, I'm going to persevere. <laughs> and uh, but I took the lessons I learned through that book and applied them to the draft of Wind and Died in New Orleans, which is the second book and really light notes on that. You know, so it's an ongoing learning experience. I mean, I think you can never not be learning. Um, mm -hmm. And I did end up when I joined Guppies, which is the subgroup of Sisters in Crime that's been just a, uh, you know, poor Guppies, like we get published and we won't leave. <laughs> they can't get rid of us because it's such a wonderful, supportive, you know, interactive group. And I took classes through that. And um, mm -hmm. I tend to take the classes, not do any of the work and and then file the notes away and, <laughs> and never go back to them. So I don't know why I take the classes, but sometimes I do. I I figure if I pick up at least one thing, yeah. um, you know, then that it's, it's been worth it. And, uh, and so, you know, it's, it's a constant learning experience yeah. and, you know, I, and I've, I've learned how to write cozy mysteries, um, but I'm, and I finally wrote a standalone and that did take several years of going back and forth and doing many, and, and that was hard, hard, hard. And um, and it's not my natural instinct. And I've been trying to write a second one, and it's it's just not come easily because I th tend to think mystery and you know, and also it's hard for me to write without humor. It feels like someone else is writing. <laughs> so is your standalone women's fiction or or no? It's it's a suspense, but um, you know, and it's out being shopped now. But it's a little tricky because it has um it has scenes from a journal that someone wrote in, in 1986 of events that happened in 1936. And it's inspired by my grandfather's disappearance. He was low level Jewish mob um, on that side. I'm, I'm half Italian, half Jewish. And ironically, the, the mob angle is on the Jewish side. And he disappeared <laughs> in 1933 and it's always kind of haunted me. So I wrote a fictional, like what I completely made it up since no one knows what really happened. I said it in New Orleans and, you know, so it alternates between those segments in the past and in the present. Um, and so it's, you know, it's people have really liked the writing, but I think, you know, in the present, it's a suspense. It's the granddaughter of the son of the man who ended up uh, dying and being in a mob in New Orleans. Oh. 
um, leaving New York, assuming under and the whole family, a Jewish family, creating a new identity as Italians, so he could um, infiltrate, he could become part of the mob in New Orleans. Because that was in New York, it was uh, up until like you know the 30s, it was or even the 40s. You know the mob, the mob was often a co- was a combination of Jewish and Italian, yeah. um, but not in New Orleans. It was really very purely Sicilian and Italian. Um, so, well, purely Italian, mostly Sicilian. So it's actually where the mob started. So, um, so, you know, that's, and so the, so the part that takes place in the present with this woman who's a private pilot is, um, is I've actually had one publisher, you know, one a publisher say, oh, if they could take, if she'd take out all the past and just do, you know, that, um, we'd be interested. And I'm like, to me, I'm now very, I feel like, no, I want to keep going. This is the book I envisioned yeah. and I'm not ready to tear it apart because to me, the the older, you know, the parts in the past are really what make it special and different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't just want to write another, you know, but it doesn't have like my usual humor. I mean, it's got flashes of it, um, but, but it's, it's not light. Yeah. No, it's not. And it's, but it's, you know, it, and I had to make sure I didn't have a completely cozy ending. You know, it doesn't end, it ends with, you know, anyway, it's, it's a combination of everything. Well, it sounds like, um, it sounds fascinating. I mean, when you were doing research for it, did you find any more information about your grandfather? Nothing. And I went on to, um, I've had some relatives. I went on to, uh, you know, both ancestry sites because growing up, they never, they thought, you know, there was a feeling that he just went and started a new family somewhere. Um, Cause I found out things about my, over the years, I found out things from distant relatives. Like he, his, his father-in-law, supposedly he impregnated his father's nurse and, um, and she went back to Germany. So, you know, there's, there are no links there. And, you know, so I um, joined the ancestry sites to see if any, you know, much closer, and I've had some relatives pop up um, uh, who are first cousins we lost touch with, um, you know, but nothing like that. So fascinating. Yeah. Well, good and good for you for for taking the leap. Oh, I will tell you one thing yeah. though that I my mom, I don't know why she didn't tell me this earlier. She said when your grandmother went to look for him, um his gangster friends told her she'd be lucky if he wasn't at the bottom of the river. And she only told me this like a year ago. So now I assume that's where he ended up cuz supposedly some money from the family business disappeared when he did and so Wow. Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, So I love that you're, you know, you're you're successful in this cozy niche, but you're also looking at, you know, what else and and moving around. And and that's brave. I mean, that's that's not easy to do. Although I think I'm, you know, I'm lining up. So I've got some ducks in a row and they're all cozy ducks. And every time I try to think of the suspense thing, it's I it's really hard for me to get into, you know, the, and I take classes and, you know, I have the notes I should be reading and I haven't written, read yet. Um, it's, it, there are two different mindsets and writing mm-hmm. techniques for that. And I just, I somehow after struggle, but managed to, to, to write it for this book, but um, inspiration is yet to strike again. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's pretty, I have great ideas. I just haven't been able to translate them into, into manuscripts. 
yeah, no, it's this is this is hard, right? Ideas yes. moving into execution is 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 a thing. Yep. Um, so, what's the best piece and the worst piece of writing advice you've gotten, and what's your favorite piece of writing advice to give? You know what i I've been thinking about this question, and I really can't think of a worst piece of advice I got. And um, you know, I I, I keep thinking. I, I'm sure somewhere in the TV world, there's a bad piece of advice I got, um, but I can't think of it. I just haven't been able to. In terms of best piece of advice I got, um, Rochelle Staub was our uh, chapter president for Sisters in Crime uh, in around 2016. And I've, you know, when you when you're being paid to write, you cannot afford writer's block. You cannot say to an editor, oh, I, I just can't do this. I need more time. No, you, especially, you know, especially in TV where, where thousands of hundreds and thousands of dollars and, you know, or yeah. writing on what you produce. And then if you don't produce it, you're fired, um, which is true of anything. Um, you know, so I really could never afford writer's block, but in, after the election in 2016, I just got super depressed and I was really having trouble writing funny. And you know, I, I reached out to Rochelle and we got together and, and she gave me, she said, you know what, write 15 minutes a day. And if you can write, if it becomes more than that, great. But if you, you know, give yourself credit, if you've written 15 minutes and, you know, that was such a great, I'd say that was like the best piece of advice because, mm-hmm. you know, I followed it and I wrote for 15 minutes and I gave myself her credit and then 15 became a half hour, became an hour and it got me back on track. So it wasn't in terms, it wasn't an artistic, it was a technical piece of advice. Um, But I give it to people who are stuck or struggling, you know, so, so I think that was the best. Yeah. 15 minutes, it can be significant too. I mean, if you do it consistently, it can add up. Well, you know, after the, uh, I happened to be in, um, in New Orleans so my daughter was going, just graduated. She was a loyal in New Orleans. And um, I went down, even though Boucher Count was canceled, I was, my new series is set in New Orleans. I can always do research. I was seeing my daughter. I had a great mother-daughter weekend planned. And we had to evacuate for Hurricane Ida. Mm. And, you know, she was out of school for another three weeks after, you know, two years of COVID. And, you know, it was just like, off we got home and and then New Orleans was just in terrible shape and the the power system was down for two weeks and and I was seeing people on Twitter who are champions of the city going I don't know if I can do this anymore and I just got super depressed and I was writing you know a book set in <laughs> I was writing the second you know, wind and died in New Orleans and um I had to use the 15 minutes again to power through. Cause like, Mm -hmm. and I actually wrote an essay about it for the, my book essay for mystery C magazine. Like, you know, how can I, am I doing the city disservice by writing this light frothy mystery? So, um, so I, you know, I had to get back on the horse. It was hard. Well, it's, and I, you know, I follow you on social media and we know each other. So I I saw, I mean, that you had a heck of a journey through all that, Uh, but you have such a love affair that is so obvious with New Orleans. Um, and I think that that's a gift unto itself. I, I think that, you know, loving that city despite everything and and just loving it is, um, is a gift. Oh, a thank gift. you. I mean, sometimes I feel like, you know, people who actually live there, um, 
you know, have a right to be like, oh, you're painting a, no one said this to me, but I don't, I wouldn't blame them for saying, boy, are you painting a rosy picture? Because, you know, crime is just up and yep. in a, and it's always had, you know, the infrastructure of that city is, is so bad. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and people there, and that's why I dedicated Bayou Book Thief um, to the city and to the citizens of the city, um, because, you know, they just, or so, you know, they'll take these giant potholes and turn them into works of art. You know, they'll decorate the cones that are stuck to make sure people don't drive into them. And, you know, they have like this, this scammy ticket system where if you go literally 21 miles in a, in a 20 mile zone in a school zone, you get a ticket. I mean, we've got four tickets from the trip, literally for going 21 miles or 23 miles. And I think it's the, the main way they generate income. You know, yeah. so um, so it's it's a very different place from yes. other places, but there's so much there. It's such a rich, rich place that my I try to feel like I'm doing it a service by encouraging people to visit and support it. And also, you don't write dystopian fiction. You don't yeah. write, you know, true crime. You don't write thrillers. You write cozy. So well, you know. It's it actually in in the new series, which is set literally in New Orleans, Cajun country. People go, oh, your New Orleans series. Like, no, that is not set in New Orleans. My characters go there twice in the series, yeah. um, but um, but it literally set here. You know, I wrote to the fact the police there, as in many cases right now in the city, in many cities, even here in Los Angeles, they're understaffed. And they have to work like dogs. And, you know, they're especially in a high crime city. I mean, you know, they're understaffed and overworked. So, you know, that actually gives my my amateur sleuth. You're going, well, someone's in the city. Like, why is, you know, how can you be solving mysteries when you have an entire, you know, police department there? Well, you know, they have it's whack-a-mole. Like yeah. you, you bat down one, another pops up. So it doesn't get the priority that your protagonist needs for her own life. Right. right. So that's, so I'm happy I'm able to be, you know, adjust the real and, and use it as a justification for my amateur sleuth. Yeah, no, it's great. So what's your process like? You, you said you outlined, but do you write every day? Do you write at the same time every day? Do you, you know, because you also market, um, oh. and you're great at that. I know you don't love it, but you're good at it. Uh, and we have to do it. So oh, you know, I say you, now that I have two careers, Ellen Byron author and marketing director for Ellen Byron author. Yeah. And, yes. and it's a great, it actually is a fun way to procrastinate. I think yeah. my ability to do it started as procrastination is, Oh, I'll make a graphic. Oh, I'll do this. Oh, I'll get on social media instead of writing. Um, you know, I don't have I do write every day, although right now I'm between drafts and I'm about to kick off another. Um, and um, so I'm doing, or I'm writing a blog post. I'm I'm constantly writing. And when I, my process for writing a draft is, you know, I start with like what they call a log line in, in the TV business, which is not just a line. It's like basically a short paragraph. And then I blow that out into about a two or three page synopsis. And then I start to blow that out into a beat sheet where I just, you know, hammer out the beats. And then I take the beat sheet and turn it into an outline by chapter. And, mm -hmm. but this is like 
assume chapters, you know, it's not, and, and it always grows because I never in the outline, which is usually 25 to 35 pages, I never have enough chapters. So of course it expands. And when I'm writing the draft, I call it a fluid outline because I literally in the catering hall series in the middle of here comes the body, the first book, I thought, you know what, I'm missing something. And I introduced in the middle of it, an annoying reporter from a local, um, paper and, you know, you know, the Triborough Tribune and, and it's an online and it's, you know, the hand, it's like a penny saver. And I have that, I, I actually have someone doing a penny saver in the Cajun, Cajun country mysteries. And then she became a great, really fun character to bounce off my uh, protagonist. And I love writing her and I get, I'm very visual. Um, and so I see these, you know, I see these in my, my books in my head as, you know, I, I say now that I see, um, you know, the Cajun country mysteries as a movie and I see the uh, the catering halls as a TV show. Like they make mm-hmm. a great half hour single camera TV show. And then um, and then the new series, the vintage cookbooks is somewhere in between. So, um, so then once I have the outline, I go to draft and allowing for it to grow and take on its own life, but it stays pretty true to yeah. what I've written. You know, I don't suddenly find, oh, it's not the, um, not the, villain I expected or the killer I expected. And one thing that I've I've pushed back on is, you know, when people talk about the organics of writing and people say, well, if I'm not surprised, my characters won't be so of a pantser. First of all, I'm jealous of anyone who could pants. I really admire that. I've tried it and failed, completely failed at it. <laughs> um, but I also feel like it does a disservice to outliners in a way that, you know, and then someone I I was talking, doing a you know a meeting somewhere and talking about this, and someone said, um, well, you know, someone told me to think of my for you know think of my outline as a first draft. And I'm like, that's brilliant. And yes, so now I think of my outline as a first draft. Mm-hmm. And you know, and you're no one's going to be surprised by the fifth or sixth draft. You know, so right. so um, so I believe that you know if you think of an outline, and I actually created a um a PowerPoint in a webinar called the organics of outlining, because it is completely organic, just at a different point in the process. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm a big believer that any, you know, that everyone should have the process that works for them mm-hmm. and no one should force themselves to do something that doesn't work for them. If you try outlining and it just makes you feel trapped, don't do it. If you are like me and you try pantsing and it just is a total disaster it's not your process. So, you know, I think no one should be judged for their process mm-hmm. and everyone should be uh, able to find whatever works for them. Now, do you work on one project at a time or can you, if you're working on a draft and you're letting it sit, can you work on an outline for a different uh, book or I generally you know? work on one project at a time. Although I always give myself, you know, when I'm building a, you know, building time into a contract, I always give myself more time than I'm, I'm sure I'll need because I live in fear of being in a panic that I'm not going to meet a deadline, mm-hmm. which could create writer's block. So because I'm in fear of this, I give myself much more time and I often will finish a, you know, the manuscript a couple of months ahead of time. And so then I will go on into, um, <clears throat> you know, then I'll go on to another project and then, you know, and then I'll go back. If I feel the manuscript is finished, I will always 
give it another read before right. I turn it in. So, you know, it's, I'd say it's get to the 95% mark um, before I move on to another project. And so, do you read your manuscripts out loud? No, all? I don't. And this is why I, first of all, you know, because of my acting background, um, if I read it out loud, I stop, I'm not listening, I'm acting it. Yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> so it becomes, uh, I'm entertaining myself. I, I just go right into that acting mode. And so it's useless to me to read it out loud. And also I'm, I have terrible breath control and I have been, I was actually finally two years ago diagnosed with mild asthma, which I've guess I've fought against my entire life. I saw a behaviorist in New York who said, well, you talk like a new, you talk too fast and don't breathe enough. So you end up like gasping for air and eventually hyperventilating, which is, I still do. Wow. In fact, I'm doing it right now. Hold on. Gotta, oh, I got you on to breathe. Um, so the combination, in fact, my poor daughter, she would want me to read out, read to her. And I, oh, I hated reading out loud to her because I would start, you know, having my breathing issue. So between those two, yeah. I am. Um, you know, and there's no point in reading it if I'm just entertaining myself and acting out all the roles, you know, feeding like, you know, that itch that still lurks underneath everything else. Have you ever been tempted to do your own audiobooks? No, um, because of my breathing problem. Yeah. And also, um, you know, it's and sometimes I and I, I sometimes I have fun. I, I, I'm not good. I ADHD and I I'm not good at listening when people read their books aloud. It terrifies like, oh God, I know I'm gonna just lose it, lose my mind and not be able to focus, which always happens. But I do have fun sometimes reading my own work. And I never, I always read a short version. I don't think anyone five minutes is just too long for me. Um and and I think because of the acting background, I do actually bring some life to it. Oh yeah. But a few minutes of reading is is enough for me. Well, I mean, I think that's great advice anyway. When you're when you're doing asked to do a reading, always make it shorter than the time they yes. told and edit it so that you're not reading the boring parts. Like <laughs> Yes, exactly. Exactly. Make put the dialogue in and skip yeah. the description, right? Do yes, what you need exactly. to do. Um, has your publishing journey surprised you? I mean, you especially having gone through television I and mean, you you know business, the business side of all this. You yes. told us some of the stories, but has your publishing journey surprised you? Well, the small amount of money you make is a surprise. <laughs> I actually know a couple of TV writers who, um, one, I, I don't know whatever happened. I think he just didn't even end up publishing or whatever. It just disappeared from his uh, credits. But Another author, you know, another TV writer who published a book, had a two book deal and then just didn't do the second book because I think she was so in shock and went back to TV. Um, you know, for me, it's it's uh, I think I just how much I love it. Has, and, and you know what I think has surprised me is how wonderful the community is. Yeah. Um, you know, when I started and, you know, I'll admit that I thought, well, it's going to, I'm not really, you know, these are people who are more inside their head and I'm used to like the big personalities of, of a, of a writer's room and, and, you know, and actors and, and, but mostly writers and, and in comedy, you know, they tend to be bigger personalities. So, you know, so I really, I'm not going to find my people here and I've totally found my people. Mm -hmm. I'm, I, and it's just an amazingly supportive supportive, wonderful, um, warm and entertaining, fun, funny, everything 
you know, that I didn't think I, I didn't expect to find, I have found. And, um, and without, you know, and I'm a competitive person. So, you know, I will see someone else is getting an eighth book and I didn't for my series. So I'll be jealous and, you know, but it's never personal toward the person. It's Mm -hmm. envy, not jealousy, because, you know, TV writing is, especially staffing is, it's a game of musical chairs and someone's, I've been left standing and I've gotten a seat. And so you're really in competition. Um, and so, and even in a room, you're competing to, to be the funniest voice there or to come up with the best story. And, and, um, you know, so you're, and it's, it's a constant state of having to prove yourself and, and also survive, you know, and, mm-hmm. and not come out with people, you know, gossiping or back talking about you. And we've had that happen where we've lost jobs because it turned out another writer, you know, it's a, my very first job, a writer who wasn't on the show, but was a friend of the producer just blithely said one day, it's not enough that I succeed. Others must fail. And, you know, mm. I've never forgotten that because I, you know, and, and everyone's, there's a lot of insecurity, um, because comedy especially is driven is a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. So you're working with people who used, including yourself, who've used humor, humor as a survival tool, but it doesn't make you the most, you know, warm and fuzzy or supportive right. person. Right. <laughs> so, right. you know, and I came up in the nineties when, and I, and I was saying this, I, I was at a committee of women writers meeting for the WGA last night. And I brought this up too, that if I ever wrote my memoir, it'd be titled, they have their woman, my life in TV, because we would hear that they, you know, the staff would have, they felt obligated to have a lot. There were still staffs. And even to this day, there are staffs by, you know, older generational showrunners that won't have women, that don't have a woman on staff. And, um, and, you know, so you were always competing with your fellow women. So you couldn't even be supportive of them. Um, you know, they, they tried to do women's committees or women events. And I remember my friend, a friend said, you know, we went to those, there were only one or two and we went to the, those not to support each other, but to suss out the competition. Mm-hmm. And it was so true. And so, um, so finding this in, 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 you know, in our business now in, in mystery, the mystery community, you know, you're really not, you're not directly in competition with anyone. Someone will, uh, either like what you want, write And think they can make money publishing it or they won't. Right. So, you right. know. It is a very, especially I think the crime writing community. I don't know that all writing communities are yeah. supportive, but the crime writing community, I've always thought it's because we work out so many yeah, <laughs> yeah, frustrations by killing people that, yes. you know, when, when we see each other, it's, it's, it's a gift. Um, and we really yeah. love that. Yeah. It's um, a good point. I didn't think of that. People are constantly murdering people are so nice and supportive, <laughs> but that's a good point. We get yeah. it. If we don't like you, we'll kill you off in a book. Yeah, exactly. And smile while doing it. Exactly. And next year you are the Toastmaster yes. for Left Coast Crime. Did you imagine that that would happen in your career? I mean, you've had such great success with the Agathas and now this, you know, being a Toastmaster for a conference is a big deal. Yeah, I, you know, I dreamed of it maybe happening someday down the road. Um, but when I got the uh, the email from Lucinda, I, I was like, I never expected it 
to happen. And I, for some reason, I didn't expect it. I never envisioned it happening at left coast. So, um, so I was like beyond, I went crazy. I was so happy and so excited. And, you know, left coast is such a great, it's such a special magical car. I mean, they're all magical in their own ways. Um, but there's something very good natured and good humored about left coast. And maybe it's the West coast vibe. I don't know. Um, and, and they also do this thing that just is, I love, they have these events called author reader connections, where you come up with, um, a little event to, you know, and you say, I'll, you know, four, you know, four readers can join me for a drink or go for a hike or, you know, do whatever we've, um, chicks on the case, my blog, uh, we've done wine and cheese parties. We've done happy hours um, and had, and it's just such, and it's so wonderfully intimate and fun. And I think I've, I've turned some readers into friends through these events and developed like, you know, they become really extra fanny, like mm-hmm. become extra supportive um, because you, they've had this one-on-one experience. And I, you know, it's just, it's too bad other conferences don't do it. But um, but I think what makes it a little easier for Left Coast is the fact that they do rotate locations and hotels. And so you can um, find different uh, little alcoves or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm already looking at Tucson and I'm already trying to think of author reader connections to do there and like, oh, we can go for a hike, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so- I'm to, to get, to have that happen this, this soon is just huge. And I'm already writing material. Like I'm a standup, not really, but you know, and I, I watched Kelly and I realized that I'm probably doing too much, too much in my head. You know, it's, uh, you know, I'm coming up with like little jokes for all the nominees. And I, I don't think that will be necessary or appropriate. <laughs> well, I think it's also, I mean, you're, you're, acting experience, your improv experience is a gift. And it is a, uh, it is one of the things that sets you apart because you will roll with whatever's happening. You know, it can be the entire ballroom could be falling apart and you're going to stand up there and you're going to pull it together for folks because you're, you know, you're used to stuff happening. Yeah, And that's that's a gift, not all writers have. (laughs) Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It does help. It does help. I think, uh, keeping just the energy up. Yeah. Especially in like, in, especially on Zoom and virtual events. Yes. Yes. And, and energy is an important, again, acting background. It's an important thing yes. that I don't know that authors always understand is that you yeah. have to bring energy to whatever you're doing so that the readers feel that as well. Um, so what are you working on now, Ellen? Um, well, I, uh, so Bayou Book Thief just came out, the first book in my vintage cookbook, uh, which is inspired by my own collection of vintage cookbooks. I got into the habit of buying old cookbooks and I, God bless, I put the, <laughs> now I can deduct them as a business expense. <laughs> um, and Wined and Died uh, was supposed to come out in December. That was postponed until um, uh, February due to the paper shortage. I am, uh, but in then my fourth uh, catering hall mystery Four Parties and a Funeral um, is going to be out in April. And then I just got um, permission to go ahead for a fifth book in the series, which will wrap it up. And then um, I actually have, um, I don't know when I'll hear about whether I'm going to get more in the um, finished cookbook mysteries, probably not for a couple of months. They have to evaluate the the sales numbers. Um, But I have two other, uh, two or three other proposals that I'm, you know, I can't, I can't sign on for too much. So but um, two others, one I'm 
so I'm looking at uh, moving forward with those, you know, without overbooking myself. It's hard since I don't know uh, if vintage is continuing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I don't want to like commit and then suddenly go, oh my God, I'm doing too much, but I also don't want to miss opportunities. So we'll see. And do you so, write, can, how many books a year can you write? Um, right now I've been writing two. I think I might be able to rotate. I don't know if I could do three in a year, but I could do a rotation where, you know, I could, I think I might be able to, but I really worry about putting too much pressure on myself because I work, I mean, I want my books to be really good and Mm -hmm. I don't want to sacrifice quality for quantity. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I'll see. I mean, if I can do a rotating thing where it's, it's maybe not, you know, the year overlaps in a way. So I, that I could pull off, I think. Um, and then, of course, my standalone is out on submission looking for a home. We'll see what happens with that. Might wow. be my first foray into, into indie publishing, but, you know, we'll see. That, I think, is, is such a, to do that well, is is a full-time monumental task, and I don't know if I'm up for taking it on. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. it also costs to do, do a good book. I You have to put some money into it. Yeah. So, yeah. so no, we'll see. Well... It's all impressive and inspiring. Oh. And thank you so much for, for having a conversation and for, uh, you know, giving us insights into all these different uh, ways of working. It's really tremendous. Oh, thank you so much. I hope I was, I hope I, people hear this and don't get bored. So that's, yeah, I live in fear of boring people. In fact, <laughs> when I'm teaching, you know, young playwrights, um, I'll say to them, cause I still mentor actually for the young playwrights festival. I'll say, you can write whatever you want. There's only one rule. Don't bore people. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think mate, that should probably be something we all get tattoos on. Right? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Do it's not true. bore people. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Ellen. Thank you. Thanks so much for this wonderful opportunity. Go sisters in crime. I love it. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.